Welcome to the City Reach Baptist podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning. Welcome to 2020. (laughs) So good you're here this morning. Are you excited about the new year? Yeah, well, I am, and one of the reasons I'm excited about this new year is because we're going to be starting a new series called The Servant Revolution. If you're joining us for the first time in 2020 here at City Reach Oakton, we want to extend a warm welcome to you. If you're looking for a church family, we'd love to have you join us here at City Reach. Every Sunday, what we typically do at City Reach is we teach verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible because we believe that the Bible is God's word. And one of the things that I've done for you uh, this year to help you apply the Bible to your life is on the notes that you got when you were given in, uh, when when you came in, uh, on your OBC Outlook, on the back there are notes, sermon notes, and you can fill that out as we sort of uh, do the teaching this morning. Uh, You know, in our culture, we are just drowning in a sea of information. Uh, We are bombarded by information all around us, and yet the problem is, is that often we don't go deep into that information and we don't apply that information. And if our lives are going to change, James says, then we not only need to be hearers of God's word, but we all importantly need to be doers. And what we're going to be doing this year is we're going to continue our way, working our journey through the Gospel of John. We started our journey last year, and I was hoping that we would finish it by the end of 2019, but we just got bogged down, Um, and as we came to, we're now in chapter 13, as we came to chapter 13, I realized that there's just so much good stuff from chapters 13 through to chapter 17, that, and if you're going to really be a strong, mature Christian, you really need to understand chapters 13 through to chapter 17 of John's Gospel. Chapter 13, we have Jesus teaches us how to be servants. Chapter 14, he teaches us how as children of God, we've been given another helper, the Holy Spirit. Chapter 15, he teaches us how by abiding in Christ, we can bear much fruit. Chapter 16, he teaches us how we can thrive and not just survive in a hostile environment. Chapter 17, it's all about the great high priestly prayer of Jesus, and we're gonna learn to pray like Jesus. And so as I looked at it, I just thought, man, we just can't just jump over the top of all that great teaching. We need to go slow. We need to go through this. We need to to draw every last bit out of this teaching so our lives can be changed. Now, we are going to do a break. We're going to have some different series as we go through the year. Like in February, we're going to do a series called Ecclesia on how to be a healthy, functioning church. Later in the year, we're going to do a series called Death Do Us Part on Marriage going to do a series on raising kids. But as I said, we're going to start the year in John 13 doing this series called The Servant Revolution. So open up your Bibles to John 13, and we're going to be looking at verse 1 this morning. John 13, verse 1. John begins this chapter this way. He says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Everything from now on is going to be an expression of Jesus' love. 
But notice this sets the context that it's the feast of the Passover. And Jesus knew that his hour had come. All the way throughout John's gospel, we've seen Jesus use this expression about his hour, his coming hour. And we saw in chapter 12 that with the Gentiles now coming to Jesus, a switch had been flipped. And Jesus saw that his hour had come now to go to the cross and be the savior of the world. So as we come into John chapter 13, we must realize that the cross casts a dark shadow over all the events that are going to happen. It is Thursday night. The next day, Friday, Jesus is going to be crucified. So everything that Jesus does and everything that Jesus says from now on will be of utmost significance. He only has a few precious hours left with his disciples. If you had a few precious hours left with the people that you loved, I'm certain that you would share with them the most significant things, the most important things. And it's in the context of this moment. It's the Last Supper. It's Thursday night. Jesus is going to be arrested in a few hours that Jesus gets up from his place. He takes off his outer garments. He takes up a towel, he, towels it, he, he ties it around his waist, he pours some water in a basin, and he washes the disciples' feet. Now, this washing of the disciples' feet, it is interesting that it is not mentioned by any of the other gospel authors. As I was studying it this week, I tried to look at what the other gospel writers had to say about the fact that Jesus washed their feet, but it's not mentioned. It's not mentioned by Mark. It's not mentioned by Matthew, it's not mentioned by Luke, it's only mentioned here by John. And I think that's significant. Because the things that we tend to remember are the things that impact us the most. Just think back to your childhood. The things that you remember from your childhood are the things that impacted you. And I think this washing of the disciples' feet by Jesus impacted John and he never forgot it. And I'm going to tell you a little bit later why I think that is. But after Jesus washes the disciples' feet, Jesus says to them in verse 12, Do you understand what I've done for you? Do you guys get it? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do, just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. This is mind-blowing. Jesus is saying that foot washing is part and parcel of the Christian life. Notice in verse 12 or 15 again, he says, For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done for you. So just as Jesus washed his disciples' feet, we should wash the feet of others. Now in the history of the church, as people have taken seriously this command of Jesus to wash feet, many have adopted the literal washing of feet as a liturgical practice. Many denominations, including Anglicans, Lutherans, Methodists, Presbyterians, Mennonites, and Catholics, Observe the, the liturgical washing of feet on Monday, Thursday of the Holy Week. So on Thursday before Good Friday, you'll see the Pope and he'll come out and he'll wash people's feet. 
Further, many modern denominations like the Anabaptists, the Free Will Baptists, and some Pentecostal churches have seen foot washing as an ordinance of the church. Now, at City Reach, we believe in two ordinances, the communion and baptism. We believe that Jesus ordained these practices for us to keep and, and practice so that we will remember the work of Jesus. When you eat the bread and you drink the cup, you're remembering how Jesus' body was broken for you and how his blood was shed for you. But many of these denominations, they say, well, John 13, Jesus is prescribing foot washing to be just like communion and baptism, that as a church, we should have these regular times where we wash one another's feet. Now, before you write off these groups as just crazy, <laughs> I have to say that there is something powerful about literally washing someone else's feet. Last year, when I was in Nepal and we were teaching, Pastor Jeff and I were teaching on John 13 as part of the lesson, when it came to the end of the lesson, uh, I washed the feet of a Nepali pastor called KP. He's the head of the Baptist Union of Nepal. And he washed my feet. And I have to say that it was the most spiritually significant moment of my Christian life. As I looked down and saw this highly honored man humble himself from the Brahmin caste, humble himself. He'd never touched feet in his entire life. He humbled himself. He washed my feet. It reminded me of the Lord of glory who came and washed the disciples' feet. So maybe sometime in your real life group, why don't you just wash each other's feet? You might find it spiritually significant. But I have to tell you that I don't think that Jesus was setting up another ordinance for the church because he says in verse 17, if you know these things, and he uses the plural, foot washing is meant to be a category of many things, blessed are you if you do them. <laughs> and as you look at the book of Acts, you'll find that the early church didn't continue the practice of foot washing, and as you look at the letters of the church, you'll find that um, foot washing is not taught in the letters like baptism and the Lord's Supper is. But nevertheless, Jesus commanded you, follower of Jesus, <laughs> to wash the feet of others. So what does it mean to wash feet, and how can we wash the feet of other people? Well, I think that what you have here in this action is you have a number of levels of significance, and it's like a spiral. It starts off on a top level, and then you have these deeper levels of significance in this action of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. On a very basic level, first, foot washing was just a simple act of love. You see, in the first century, whenever you went anywhere, you had to walk, and since all you had as footwear were sandals and the streets of Israel were mostly dirty tracks, people's feet would get very dirty. Now, if you've been to Nepal, when you go into someone's house in Nepal or when you go into a church, you'll often take your shoes off and they have these big racks where you leave your shoes before you go into the, the church or go into someone's home. And if you forget Pastor Chandran, he's a bit cheeky, he turned to me one day, he said, what do you think what do you reckon the significance is behind us taking off our shoes before we come into church or come into someone's home? I said, oh, well, it must be some sort of sign of respect or honor. 
They said, no, 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 it's just that, you know, Nepal has very dirty streets, and so we don't want to get our carpets dirty. <laughs> and this was what it was like in the first century. The streets were very dirty, and so when you came to someone's home as a guest, there would be a bowl, there would be a towel, and there would be a servant, and the servant would get down and he would wash the feet of the honored guest. Only a slave or a servant would do that. And so you can imagine here, all of the disciples have come into the upper room. There's the bowl. There's the towel. Where's the servant? Probably all looking at each other. Which one is going to serve? Who's going to do this? And it's there that Jesus takes off his outer garments, puts on a towel, stoops down and washes the disciples' feet. You see, washing of feet is just a simple act of love. It's just a simple act of service where we see the needs of others and we get down and we serve them. And when you wash the feet of others, your hands will get dirty. I'm sure that the disciples' feet were very dirty and grimy. And if you are going to wash the feet of other people, your hands will get dirty. But it's just a simple act of love and service. So who around you needs their feet washed? (laughs) Who in your real life group needs their feet washed? Who in this church needs their feet washed? Who in your family needs their feet washed? Well, there is another level of significance. I think there's something else going on here. Look down your Bibles in verse two. We read that John says that this happened during supper when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Now, all along, Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. It wasn't a surprise to Jesus. In chapter 6, in verse 70, Jesus had said, Did I not choose the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. And John says that he spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. So this betrayal of Judas didn't take Jesus by surprise. He knew it was going to happen. But I think that John adds this detail here because he wants to highlight the greatness of Jesus. I mean, it's easy to wash the feet of people who who love you and are on your team, but what about those who are in it for themselves? What about your enemies? If you've ever been in any sort of leadership position, you know that there are people on your team or in your staff and the different people are in, in, the, in your team or in your staff for different reasons. You have some Phillips and Andrews, solid people who you can depend upon and trust. But you also have Peters. <laughs> They're always saying the wrong thing at the wrong time, but you know their hearts are with you. I, I, I relate to Peter. I always say the wrong thing at the wrong time. But you also have Judases, people who you know in a second They would have your job if they could get away with it. So what do you do with those people? Well, this is the greatness of Jesus. He not only washed the feet of Philip and Andrew and James and John and Peter, he got down and he washed the feet of his betrayer, knowing that Judas was going to betray him. He still washed his stinky, dirty feet. Look down in verse 3 in your Bibles. It says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand 
and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from the supper, laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Now what John wants us to know here is that Jesus didn't take the position of a servant or a slave because he lacked authority. He says the Father had given all authority into his hands and he knew where he was coming from and he knew where he was going. No, Jesus took this position willingly. You see, the second level of significance we see in the foot washing of Jesus is that through this act of foot washing, he redefined what true greatness is all about. You see, true greatness is not about holding on to your rights and holding on to your reputation, but it's actually found in giving up your rights and laying aside your reputation and taking the role of a servant. You see, the only, there was only one there who legitimately had the right to ask the other people to wash his feet, and that was who? That was Jesus. He was the master. They were his servants. If anyone should wash anyone's feet, it should be the disciples washing Jesus' feet. But Jesus gives up his right as the master, and he stoops down, and he washes their feet. You see, this is true greatness. And as I said, I think that the Apostle John never forgot it. And the reason that I say that is because when you read the other accounts of the last Sampa, you will find something astounding. You will find that the disciples were arguing, even at the last supper, over who would be the greatest. <laughs> now Luke says that as they were reclining at the table, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become the youngest and the leader as the one who serves. See, John was one of those ones who was arguing over who would be the greatest. And I actually believe that after he said this, then Jesus, it was then Jesus went and he washed the disciples' feet to show them what true greatness is all about. You know, I want to talk to you here this morning who are in positions of leadership and influence. I know that there are many people in our church who have significant leadership positions, and I'm not just talking to those people who have leadership positions in our church. I'm talking about we have many people in our church who have leadership positions in the police or in education. It might be a principal or something like that, or you have a leadership position in your business, you have employees. And I know part of the issue in being a leader is how to handle authority. You see, authority is important in leadership. If you don't have authority, you can't really lead. Authority is necessary for leadership. And it's not as though Jesus didn't have authority. You know, there is a great push nowadays to get rid of all authorities and just to have an egalitarian society where everyone is equal, not only in personhood, but also in role. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that God has set up authorities. We have governing authorities. The government is the highest authority over us as citizens. There are parental authorities, parents, you are in authority over your children. You don't need your children's permission to be their parent. You are their parent. 
And then obviously we have church authority, and obviously God is the one authority that stands over all these authorities. And so Jesus, in performing this act of foot washing, he was not getting rid of the idea of authority. He had authority. It says in verse 3, all authority had been given to Jesus by the Father. And in verse 13, Jesus says, you call me teacher, rabbi, and Lord, and you are right, for so am I. So Jesus is not advocating some egalitarian society where there are no responsibilities and no authorities. He had authority as the divine son of God. He had authority as their rabbi and as their Lord. Now what Jesus was redefining is how you use your authority, how you exercise authority. As leaders, you'll be given authority and you cannot lead without having authority. But what Jesus was redefining is the way you should use authority. He said what the Gentiles do is they selfishly lord it over others for their own purposes. Not so among you. The way that you should use authority is you should use your authority to give up your rights, to give up your reputation, and to get down and serve others. You know, this really spoke to me personally as a pastor because with the title pastor, I'm given certain authority and I haven't always exercised that in a Christ-like manner. I have sometimes terribly used my authority to galvanize my position, claim my rights, hold on to my reputation. But that's not the way of Jesus. Jesus gave up his rights, gave up his reputation. The king of glory took the role of a slave. The role of a slave. You know, if you've been watching all that's been happening out in our culture right now, you, you know there's a big firestorm happening, literally, and also a firestorm around our Prime Minister ScoMo, and I don't want to really talk about that, but, but um, I, was, I had this photo come up on, and this article come up on my phone of um, when, uh, uh, when George W. Bush, uh, he faced a similar crisis in the 2000s in his presidency um, with uh, Hurricane Katrina, and there's this photo of George W. Bush, and, and he's in Air Force One, and he's looking down on Hurricane Katrina, and Many people suggested that that was the moment that he lost the respect of the people because they saw it as him being in this highly exalted people position, looking down on people. How much different would it have been if, he, if the photo had have been him there serving people on the ground at Hurricane Katrina? You see, if you hold positions of authority and leadership, True greatness will not be seen in you holding on to your reputation and holding on to your rights, but when you get down and serve your people. And when you serve your staff or when you serve the people around you, you will find that you don't have to use the stick to get them to do what you want them to do. They'll respect you. They'll do it because they love you. And they, isn't that why we, we follow Jesus? Because he's the ultimate servant ultimate servant. Now we come to the final level of significance, and it's just so beautiful, this passage. 
And this is brought out in Jesus' interaction with Peter. He's washed every other disciple's feet, and Jesus comes to Peter, and Peter says, Lord, do you wash my feet? To which Jesus answered him in verse 7, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, you will never wash my feet. So you've got to understand this from Peter's perspective. Peter is thinking, if my rabbi, if my teacher is washing my feet, if he's taking the position of the slave, then what does that mean for me? I mean, I'm serving Jesus so I can be on his right hand, so I can be on his left hand, so I can be in a position of influence and power. And if my rabbi is humbling himself and taking the position of a slave, then what does that mean about for me? Lord, you will never wash my feet. To which Jesus says, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And now we see that this washing of feet was more than just a physical action. Jesus, in washing their feet, was speaking about what he would do on the cross, where he would wash away the sin from these disciples' dirty souls. And if proudly we do not allow Jesus to wash us, then we are not in relationship with him. You only come into relationship with Jesus by humbly allowing him to wash your dirty feet. You know, some of our youth have been away on CE camp, and I remember when I was younger, I used to go to CYC camps every summer. And uh, this one time, on one of the nights at uh, CYC camp, uh, we played this game where all the boys had to take off their shoes and they had to throw them in the middle of the room. And then the girls would come and they would find those shoes and they would find which boy those shoes belonged to. But that was very uncomfortable for me because I had these old, smelly Dunlop volleys. You know what I'm talking about. All the people who knew that song, Brother Let Me Be My Servant, you know what I'm talking about. Dunlop volleys. I had these old, smelly Dunlop volleys with holes in them. And I didn't, and I, I used to wear them without any socks, so my feet would stink. And so it was really uncomfortable for me. I felt really very vulnerable. I didn't want some girl to come and put my Dunlop stinky volleys on my feet. And I think that's the same reason why many people refuse to come and have their feet washed by Jesus. Because if you're gonna have your feet washed by Jesus, you've gotta allow him to expose the dirt. You've gotta be weak. You've got to be willing for him to expose it so that he can cleanse it. And Peter responds, therefore, to Jesus. He says, Lord, then not my feet only, but my, also my hands and my head. <laughs> you know, you've got to love Peter. He's all or nothing. No, Jesus, you won't wash me. Yes, Jesus, now everything. Wash me all. And Jesus responds by saying, verse 10, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet but is completely clean. And I think Jesus is filling us in here on something so powerful about the Christian life. That when we come to Jesus the first time, he washes us clean through the waters of regeneration. We are washed clean. We are justified. We are dressed in his righteous robes. But as we go throughout our lives, 
As we go throughout our walk in life, our feet do get dirty and we need to come back to Jesus for cleansing so that our fellowship with God can be restored. You know, the Bible teaches basically there are three types of people. First, you have a natural person. The natural person is someone who has not yet come to Jesus and received cleansing and forgiveness for their sins. So they don't have the Spirit of God within them and they have no fellowship with Christ or union with Christ. Then you have those who have come to Christ. But for the use of a better term, they are carnal or fleshly Christians. They've come to Christ, they've received him, they've been born again, but they're still immature and they haven't yet learned to walk by the Spirit and appropriate the resources that they have through their union with Christ. They're still on the throne of their lives and they're not yielding control over to Jesus day by day, so they're living in defeat and they're not experiencing the power of the Spirit producing in them the life of Christ. But then there are those who are learning to walk by the Spirit and they are yielding control to Jesus and trusting Him to produce His life in them day by day. So which are you? Are you a natural person? A person who doesn't really have the Spirit of God within them because you've never come to Jesus and believed in him and been born again. Look down in verse 10. Jesus said, and you are clean. But notice he says, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. You know, it is scary to think that Judas followed Jesus for three years. He was even there that night and had his feet washed by Jesus, but he was not washed spiritually clean. You know, you could come to church your whole life, do all the rituals, but you may not be born again because it's not about external outward rituals. It's about being born again, being washed again, being regenerated by the Holy Spirit. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13 verse five, he says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Christ is in you? The test of being a believer is not whether you do all the outward rituals, but it's whether you've been transformed inside, whether you have the Spirit of God in you, working through you? Well, are you a fleshly, carnal Christian? You've been born again, but you're not walking by the Spirit day by day, yielding over control to God, and you're living a defeated Christian life. Your Christian life is not working, and you know it. Now, the church in the West is under the pressure of carnal Christians who confess Christ with their lips, but they don't walk by the Spirit and have the fruit of the Spirit abounding in their life. Well, today, the first day, first Sunday of the year, why don't you come back to Jesus? Many of you may not, and it's because to come back to Jesus, you've got to be humble. You've got to be willing to admit that you do have dirty feet and be willing to have your feet exposed so he can cleanse them and wash them. So how do we wash the feet of others? Well, we've seen today that washing of the feet of others is just a simple act of love. So who in your family, who in this church, who in your real life group, do you need to, is God prompting you to go and serve and love? 
Maybe you need to bake a meal and give it to someone, or is there someone who you need to take their kids so that they can have the afternoon off? If you're in a leadership position, remember true greatness is not found in holding on to your rights and reputation, but giving them up and serving the people you lead. And finally, do you need to come back to Jesus this morning and have your feet washed? You know, I've called this series The Servant Revolution because this is what Jesus came to do. He came to bring a revolution, a revolution, a true revolution. You know, most of the revolutions in the history of the world have been where people have risen up in their power and they have oppressed another people group. But that's not the servant revolution. Jesus came to bring a revolution where we give up our power, we give up our rights, we give up our reputation, and we get down and we serve others. Wouldn't it be amazing if this church was known as a church of servants? <laughs> Paul, the most amazing church planter in the whole world. Does he start off his letters that way? Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Servant, a servant, the servant revolution. Will you join me and become part of the servant revolution? Who'll join me and become part of the servant revolution? In order to be part of the servant revolution, you need the Spirit of God working through you because only the Spirit will be able to produce the type of love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control that we need. Only Him, so you need to come back to the servant regularly, daily, have your feet cleansed and washed so you have the power to be the servant. Well, let me pray right now for you as we come to an end close. Oh, Father, we're just so thankful for this passage. We so, Lord, I do see so many servants in our church. I see a church full of servants, Lord, full of people who have the Spirit of God working through them, and, and they, are, they are just like Jesus, the one who's indwelling them. And Lord, we just are so thankful that you didn't hold on to your rights or your reputation, but you left your throne of glory and you humbled yourself and you became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And you trusted, you trusted your rights and your reputation into the hand of God, to God your Father. And then we know the end of that passage in Philippians 2 says that God therefore exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. I know it's scary to give up your rights and your reputation, but if you do, you can trust that God will exalt you in due time. That's what the scripture says over and over again. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and in due time, he will exalt you. Do you need to come back to Jesus today and have your feet washed today? Pray that you would. As we sing this last song, if God is moving in your heart, then just come forward for prayer. We'd love to pray for you. We'd love to pray for you. Let's stand together.